It's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I can follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we're in August. The AP poll just came out. I can feel the season coming. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. How uh, yeah. how things been on your side? Not too bad. I know you were just on vacation. I had a, a wedding at the end of July, so it's been a few weeks since we talked to everyone, but I'm ready. I'm psyched to, to get into this podcast tonight. Give us a cheers. Well, it's been a long off season and a truncated season last year, so if you're not ready for college football now, I don't know what to tell you because um, it almost feels a little bit like it's been two years, uh, which it, it more or less has been since we yeah. had real <clears throat> college football. So with that said, let's let's just do a cheers to college football coming back. I think we have two and a half weeks just about before yeah. some of the first games uh, kick off, and that's awesome. So cheers to everybody uh, making it this far and only a couple more weeks to go. Cheers. <clears throat> yeah, today we're recording on the 17th. The first games, I think, are the 28th. So we only yeah. got about 11 days before we're going to see some football. And I think that's Nebraska and Illinois are kicking us off. Yeah, real barn burner there. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I have a feeling uh, Nebraska might end up getting smoked in that game. Uh, That's uh, Bielema's first game with the <laughs> Illinois, right? I think so. Yeah, we get we get good old Burt back. Yeah, that's right. He's back in the big-time college football. Later in this podcast, we're going to do our bold predictions for 2021, and you'll see that in the title. But uh, we're going to go over some of our early camp notes and, and a couple other uh, news and notes before we get there. But I, I do have some good... Uh, Good bold predictions. I'm hoping Robbie has a couple too. All right, news and notes. I want to start with the Texas and OU going to the SEC thing. I know it's a little bit of old news if you're really dialed into college football, but it's huge news, and obviously it's a couple years out. But it's it was crazy. I mean, no one really saw it coming, and I don't think anyone would have heard about it for a couple more years unless the story got leaked uh, to the papers by, I believe it was Texas A&M. <laughs> It was definitely Texas A&M. I, I don't know. I haven't dug in to see if that's official, but we all know who it was. And it happened yeah. during the SEC media days, which was even even funnier. The A&M, A&M got up there and basically didn't even talk about their own team. They just talked about that the news dropping. Yeah, it was pretty clear that A&M did not want it to happen. Obviously, there were other parties involved. Uh, in higher up in the SEC and with ESPN that kind of orchestrated this move of the two biggest brand names and by far the two biggest fan bases and most 
two of the most important viewership franchises to college football moving to what is already the dominant force in college football in the SEC. And so you've got what's going to be a mega conference. Uh, lots of eyeballs will be drawn. And so it started creating talk of does this gonna is this gonna have reverberations with realignment? So we're we're doing our realignment thing again ten years later. That you know how everything went crazy in 2010 and before that for tech when we moved over in 04, that was a big deal and started the whole process. And then TCU joined the Big East, but then the Big East started to disband and TCU doubled back and then joined the Big 12 and it just everything went crazy. And I have a feeling we're gonna see some more of that. What are your thoughts on on this move to the SEC and how it will affect college football going forward? Uh, well, it's slowly, it was already on the path, but it's slowly going to turn college football into a sport that I'm not a big fan of. And it's just pro football. This is the path that it's, it's heading toward. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's going to change or kill things, it's just, it's professionalizing the sport at this, at this point, everybody's just looking out for bottom dollar, making the most money. Rivalries don't really matter as much anymore. It's relatively cutthroat, especially given what we've seen um, with the SEC commissioner and the Big 12 commissioner, Bowlesby, and uh, having worked together on the new playoff deal for a long period of time. And just for um, you know uh, the SEC to turn around and, and really stab the Big 12 right in the back. So uh, pretty cutthroat. Yeah. I think it's I think it's bad um, for football. I think the Big Big Twelve is completely screwed. Uh, their only only chance is to try to muster something together with the AAC. I don't know that those teams are going to find a landing spot anywhere else. It's it's not great. And quite honestly, I'd heard this a couple different places, but it wasn't as prominent of a a talk track as some of the others. I don't think the SEC teams really know what they're getting into because no. it's already hard enough with Alabama and Georgia, the way those teams are recruiting, the way things are going right now. And you're adding in two additional teams from a recruiting mm -hmm. perspective. If you're Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, if you're any of those kind of bottom tier, if you didn't have a shot before, you certainly have no chance in hell now. And even the Auburns of the world, some of the teams that are used to having some success, their path just got a lot harder. You look at Oklahoma. Yeah. I don't think Oklahoma knows what they're about to get into. They had an easy path every year to the playoff. Uh, it's. I think there's going to be a lot of shock amongst the SEC and the and the teams coming in. And that's the the bigger picture. There is the playoff slots and how that will shake out when you've got this 16 team conference all beating up on itself. And who gets to fill those slots? And that's why this was happening in like very clandestine manner behind the scenes because the SEC wanted this to happen after the 12-team playoff got approved or wanted it to come to light, I should say. And so now it's all out there. And so it could end up screwing up the 12-team playoff in some way because we talked about that before, how that was kind of feeling like a done deal. And now it, it may still be a done deal, but the way it works and the slotting and all that stuff might be massively different. We, we just don't know. And <clears throat> this is still hasn't finished out with what's going to happen to those other big 12 teams. It, it's, is the ACC going to, going to reach out to the West? Are they going to try to bring in a, a, a big fish? 
Um, there's obviously that Notre Dame thing hanging out there. They're not joining the ACC. I think we can. There's been enough written about that that that's not going to happen. It could. Right. I, I'm not going to rule anything out, but it's unlikely as as anything else. It's as unlikely as USC West joining the ACC. That's, that's about right. <laughs> at this point. Yeah. But um, but I think it's fascinating just to to look at the landscape. And yes, have those teams made it harder for themselves in the SEC? If the Big 12 teams join the AAC, for example, let's just do that. Now, do they have an easier path to get into the playoff? You know, and that's kind of where why this is so weird. It's like, yes, the money will be there for Oklahoma and Texas. And actually, it would always have been there because they're huge brands. And I know the Longhorn Network didn't do well, but they're still not hurting for money. They're not hurting. They're the richest program in the country. Right. It's not even close. (laughs) And so they will have money, but will they have championships? I I don't know. And that might not matter to them. They might just want the money and they're going to get the money because they're going to have those four million viewer games. And that's a thing Andy Staples just wrote about was what teams in college football generate the cutoff point of 4 million viewers per game. And it wasn't very many schools that like had like multiple games. And obviously you had your normal teams up there. Virginia Tech was not one of them that he highlighted in the article. It was mostly Big Ten and SEC teams. And now you've got this Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 potential alliance that he wrote an article about as well. And what that could potentially generate because those conferences seem to want to come together to go against the ACC. They don't have SEC. They don't have a plan necessarily yet, but I think they just feel like they can't sit on their hands and do nothing. So whether that leads to more high profile matchups between those three conferences, whether it leads to uh, crossover divisional championship game something who knows they, I don't think they know or maybe it's just a bargaining power thing for slots when it comes down to the playoff when that's getting done that might be more of anything what it is but I did find that fascinating did you hear about that alliance thing yeah I did and I just want to finish go back to one point I think for Texas I don't even know if it's about the about the money because they're the number one program in the nation in terms of athletic funding and It'll continue to be that way. It, it, that's never going to change. I think for them, they'll never admit to it. But for them, they would rather be as terrible as they have been and have it be in the SEC, where at least they can claim it's because they're in a really tough conference, <laughs> than being fair. terrible in a not very good Big 12 uh, program just to save face with how you know abysmal things have been for them in comparison to their budgets, their recruiting, everything that they have their expectations, et cetera. To, to your point on the alliance, I think it is a little bit of sit on their hands. Or it would not look good and need to find something to do, even if it's just lip service that they're pulling together here. Some of it is, I think, trying to throw a little bit of weight around to keep the SEC from thinking at this point they can do whatever they want, which between them and their deal with ESPN, they pretty much can do what they want now. So it's... I don't know if it's going to do all that much. I didn't like the commentary I heard from a couple different podcasts over the past couple days of this not doing much and why would the Big Ten ever do this? Well, the Big Ten now is a is a pretty big step back from the SEC with this move. Uh, they, you know, they are the number two conference, but that gap just got there was a little bit of a gap. It wasn't much, but in Ohio State was holding things together. But that gap just became pretty pretty meaningful with this. 
And in addition to that, the, these games like Virginia Tech, Ohio State, when we played that game, that went very well for both programs. I mean, Ohio State, Oregon, you have Washington playing uh, another state. Maybe they played Michigan or something along those lines. These were already getting lined up anyway. I think it's just more solidifying it and coming up with something to get some more content on a more regular basis. And with 10, most likely the SEC is going to be playing 10 games um, in conference, only two out of conference. One of those is going to be a cupcake, most likely. So I think they're trying to find a way to put really good content on 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 the screen for uh, ratings. Yeah, that's interesting about the SEC. I don't know whether they're going to end up at nine games or 10 games, but the ACC and the SEC already have a lot of matchups. So it's almost, if you get into this alliance with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to, to do out-of-conference games, it's going to create an issue for ACC teams like Georgia Tech that already got to play Georgia or Clemson that's already got to play South Carolina. You know, and it creates too many difficult games out of conference. And so it, there's a lot to be figured out with all of this stuff. But I think all the talking points are valid. And when you said about Virginia Tech and Ohio State, they listed the top-rated games of the playoff era, and that 2015 Ohio State-Virginia Tech game was on the list. It was one. It was like number 10 or number 11, something like that. And so that, I thought that was interesting, and, and maybe that was because it was Labor Day night and all, but it doesn't matter. We were on the list, and I kind of liked it. Right. But the Staples article on just the 4 million club was interesting, and that what they're trying to do potentially with this, this alliance, what he was projecting is that try to make the matchups to maximize the amount of those 4 million viewer games. So yep. we'll see if that's what the purpose is or if it's just a, a bargaining power type purpose, but we'll find out. Let's move to Virginia Tech. Media Day happened right after we recorded our last podcast. I didn't think there was too many meaningful takeaways from ACC Media Days. Fu had one interesting quote, uh, I feel better about us throwing the ball right now since I've been here, which I guess he means uh, of all the time I've been here, I feel the best about throwing the ball right now. That's how I took it. Um, that's an interesting interesting quote considering we didn't throw the ball all that much last year <laughs> yeah that is a little bit surprising especially with a quarterback that you ended up benching and bringing in another quarterback who subsequently left the program and now you're back with the original quarterback <laughs> and that's a little bit uh that's that's an interesting uh comment yeah I didn't and maybe Fu's thought process on Burmeister was that he was banged up last year and that's why he felt like he had to go back to Hendon. But since Hendon has left more so than any time in the Fuente era, it's been Burmeister's our guy. Have you Mm -hmm. felt that? Like normally he is waiting till the last minute to name his starter. And like, I guess it's so apparent that he can't really, he can't really, uh, you know, do do the mysterious thing this year. But even the first year when Gerard Evans came in and was pretty clear he's going to start it was like is motley gonna play is josh jackson as a freshman gonna play and now it's burmeister's team and they've been hyping him up there's he was made the freaks list according to bruce feldman uh fuente's been talking about as athleticism i'm hoping that he improves that throwing ability yeah i don't know if to take it as a positive or negative that almost as though there's no other alternative at this stage which is (laughs) how i Kind of read it. The you can't even fool anybody. Oh, it could be you know any one of these two or three quarterbacks. Everybody's like, yeah, that one's not gonna fly. Let's just go around. No. So it's it's 
it's probably even more obvious now than in the Gerard Evans year that we we need to go that direction. Yeah. And it was cool that he made the freaks list. That's obviously one of the most read articles every summer in college football is Feldman's freaks list. He was number 93 on the list. Uh, and he's finally healthy. Mike uh, Nizalik had a really good article on him and detailing his time in Oregon and his transfer into Virginia Tech and him getting his toes crushed last year. Uh, he's put some weight on. Fuente talked about how he shredded. He's the fastest guy on the team, according yeah, to the to the speed thing that they measured, uh, ahead of Turner and Caleb Smith and Devin Hunter and Barno. I, I did think it was cool that Barno at like 240 was like the fourth fastest guy on the team. Yeah, he's uh, that's a lot of weight to be moving uh, that quickly. But uh, I'm excited to see what Burmeister can do this year. He's but he's he's definitely getting that off season hype train it, it, that makes him look a lot better than what we actually saw on the field last year. I know he had COVID. I know the injuries and whatever, but yeah, yeah. the off season has a hell of a way of hyping guys up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah, I'm excited. We also, uh, <clears throat> during media days, we also got the note that Virginia tech, Notre Dame, a game that you'll be attending is going to be on ACC network. One of two, I guess, marquee games that'll be on ACC network. The other one was Clemson and somebody like, Georgia Tech, or I can't remember, but something like that. Uh, hopefully, all of our fans can see it by the time October 9th rolls around. Yeah, that is that's tough because there's still people that don't have the ACC network. Maybe what's like Comcast still doesn't have it, and I yeah, think that's Comcast the, still doesn't have it. I think that's the big one that is missing out for most folks and that haven't cut the cord or things along those lines. So I think they. I mean, this Notre Dame being in the ACC network slot, that is not a mistake. Mm. That is 100% call your cable provider and tell them to get ACC network. And and I honestly, part of me thinks that Comcast will have ACC network by the time that game airs. But Yeah, I think they're going to have to. And it's it's a good game to have on there. It's, it's risky, I'll tell you that yeah, much. It's it definitely is. to take a game like that. I know Notre Dame game fans that are pumped for that game uh, because it's in Lane Stadium. So let's hope everybody can watch it because uh, otherwise we're, we're missing out. Normally a game like that you would, would typically fall its way over to um, you know ABC or, or one of the primetime slots. The other news note I had was WIT was extended till 2029. And that's not terribly surprising, but at the same time, it um, I think it allows for... Uh, a, a few perspectives to be taken on and how our football team looks going forward is is that kind of how you took this wit extension yeah i think it was i listened to so many podcasts i think it was split zone duo that did a good um segment on this with godfrey and alex and, and those guys they're talking about this is the most obvious play and I, I hate to get into this when we're about to kick off a season but the most obvious play for a potential do-over for an AD on a head coach and football. And I would double down on that comment also because of this. It wasn't huge changes, but the changes in Witt's contract have more some more emphasis shifted over towards football, uh, financial incentives, mm-hmm. that direction. So that's, that's how I take it, that you want to make sure that he has plenty of runway on that contract. If there were to be a change, I'm not saying there will be, but if there were to be a change that he's got plenty. And honestly, outside of outside of what we've seen so far and that we're not all super jazzed about on the football field, every other sports 
drastically kind of it has improved and he's made really good moves with uh, all the coaching decisions uh, on that side so not that surprising for um in my mind yeah and, and i think it was alex kirshner on split zone duo that talked about him having that that runway if he needs to he'll get a second shot to get the biggest coach on campus correct and even andy bitter put in his article uh the length of the extension tells me VT is firmly behind Babcock, however he wants to proceed. So, yeah. and that was, that's kind of counter to what some of the conspiracy theories were after December that Sands like cut him off at the knees with firing Fuente and so he couldn't do it. And I don't know where we landed on that. I'd have to go back and listen. It's been, it's been something I've been trying to forget about. But, but, uh, <laughs> but to me, I don't think Sands, cared enough to stop wit. I think that's how I put it before. I, yeah. I, I really don't. And I think it was wit's decision because he couldn't get his guy. That's how I, I took it. So this allows him to go get his guy and try again. Um, if he has to after the, at the end of this year. Yeah. I think the board of advisors and I know a few former and current on there care an awful lot about the football program. So I, I am not surprised that they, um, if they were chirping in the ear of Sands and 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 Wit and helping with that contract negotiation to incentivize things a little bit more towards the the football program. Did you happen to see the beer list that came out for Lane Stadium? They released it yesterday. I believe it was posted by Bitter, and um, there were some choices on there. Obviously, your Hokies Fighting Lager yeah. or Fighting Hokies Lager by Hardywood. Uh, the all the the mainstream uh, drinkability beers. You had Bud Light, Miller Light, uh, Michelob Ultra, Coors Light, which I think it's kind of weird. They have both Bud and Miller products. I, I feel like you would normally go with one. That's how I feel like a lot of stadiums work. I don't know. Well, the weird part about that is, is that typically that is the case because and you're thinking more like NFL, MLB. Usually you those are getting sponsored by one or the other. So mm. they're casting out the other one. It's kind of the Coke and Pepsi situation. You go to a place, right. they don't serve Coke and Pepsi. It's one or the other, similar with those beers. Whereas there's no real sponsorship that I'm aware of, I guess we'll see, of the alcohol companies to the stadium or the athletic program or anything along those lines. So it's really just what they can get through the distributor. Yeah. You got one IPA on there, which was the Devil's Backbone IPA. Yeah. And you also had... One seltzer on there and black cherry white claw, which part of me was surprised that's the only flavor they're offering. People love those seltzers, man. I figured there would be at least a couple on there. Well, I'm still dry at the moment. So I did lob an email in there seeing if I could get one of my um, good non-alcoholic beers in the stadium. And obviously oh, the, okay. we got no response whatsoever. So <laughs> I even like made a hardcore pitch. I was like, you know, if you have a good non-alcoholic, maybe people will mix those in with regular beers every once in a while. You might keep people out of out of jail and uh <laughs> I, I i made a hard pitch but it looks like you could get uh, like wives to buy them like give them yeah. to their husbands they don't know it's non-alcoholic yeah, just pour it in a plastic <laughs> cup and right have, and uh yeah that fell on deaf ears so we'll, we'll see <laughs> and i think the one last beer was blue moon which um i feel like is fairly popular and kind of makes sense to be on be on there for an outdoor event to have blue moon on the list but it wasn't the best list but wasn't the worst list and we do have our very own beer on there so that is yep. pretty cool to have a uh, beer named after the Hokies on the list preseason rankings are out the ap poll like i said at the top came out 
We are not in it, but there are some ACC teams in there. UNC is number 10, so our opening week opponent is a top 10 opponent in the AP poll. Miami is number 14. Notre Dame, who we will play, is one spot ahead of UNC at number 9. Number 1 was Bama, 2 OU, 3 Clemson, 4 Ohio State. I feel like you could pretty much say it's those four any given year the last five years, and you'd probably be damn close to right. Yeah, that's awesome, right? Everybody's really excited about the way college football's going these days. <laughs> so eventful yeah. at the top. Yeah, we were 40th uh, in the coaches' poll vote, uh, 40th in Athlon, 45th in the Massey composite. That's right now, that's 20 different rankings uh, all compiled into one. We're 45th there. Um, but no ranking in the AP poll, not a single vote. So that's outside the top 44 there. Uh, people don't have us in the top 30. I think that, yeah, S&P had us at 33, and that was one of the higher ones that I've seen. So um, not too high on the Hokies, but we could change that week one. Yeah, I think we can find out. I think CBS had us at number 39. I took a look at that one as well. Okay. But I was... I wasn't expecting us to certainly not be in a top 25, not receiving a single vote whatsoever in the AP. It's not, it's not a good look. I, no. I don't know the last time. And I, I didn't have time to look that up, but yeah, the that's last a good time question. that happened had to, that up. had to be a while, not to get a single vote had to be a while ago. Yeah. West Virginia even got three votes and they've had like, portal problems like you wouldn't believe and and they're one of our opponents but i was surprised that they had any votes yeah i agree now it's time for the early camp notes and then we're going to get into position battles we'll do the notes before the beer break and then we'll do the position battles marco lee apparently he's a very big boy 511 227 and they've been talking about him you're hearing a little bit of whispers and and this time of year I, i know robbie you probably noticed this too the guys who get mentioned the most in articles are the guys who like, there's a little bit more emphasis when a coach talks about them. Like that's what kind of tips you off that this guy might have a role this year. And mm-hmm. you know, this is real deep in the fandom stuff, but you, you know, it's true. You hear a guy get a little excited when he talks about someone, you want to make a note. And Marco Lee was one of those guys. He could be a short yardage back for us this year. Yeah, I agree. And I also wonder how much of that is because it really doesn't, matter all that much how much the coaches just talk about people that are doing things right you know showing up on time working hard working out even if regardless of what their contribution is going to be kind of sending a signal out to the players hey this guy's doing his thing regardless of playing time you know emulate the way that he's going about his his business and i'll start mentioning your name out there you know more often than not but margo lee definitely is one that i've heard come up a few times the other one I had was Tay Daly. He moved over to free safety. He was the kid that came over from Vanderbilt. And another position change, Daryl Bailey officially moved over to offensive line. So I think I think Daryl Bailey's going to have to be an offensive tackle because he's, he's tall, he's long. Uh, so I think he'll be a tackle down the road. But moving over from D-line, I think he's got a lot to learn, more of a project for Bailey. Yeah. Uh, but Daly will contribute at – the safety position this year. And we'll talk about him a little bit more when we get to the position battles. Caleb Smith is back to full health. He's ready, uh, ready to go according to Fuente. And I was starting to feel a little bit better about wide receiver the last couple weeks. Cause we moved over Kelly Lawson, six foot four over to wide receiver. 
He's a really big guy. Dallin Wright, Dwayne Lofton, Jalen Jones, they were all making early impressions. And Lofton could really be an X factor. I kind of see him as a slot guy. Um, but then we just got that little nugget that payouts hamstring is bothering him. And that just took a little bit of wind out of my sails. Yeah, and he especially yeah, after after last season and I he had been getting in terms of the wide receiving core. I think we know what we're getting with Trey. I think Caleb Smith, everybody's been really high on. He hasn't gotten a ton of touches, but I think people are pretty confident. And then Payout was really, you know, and Robinson, obviously, yeah, we know. Payout was really that next guy that we really thought was, this is his year. He's going to be healthy. He's going to make a step up. But I was I was uh, a little bit, like you said, um, you know, it was just unfortunate to hear that. I hope, I hope everything's clean. He's good to go because I think we're going to need him to build out that depth that we obviously talk about every year we need at that wide receiver position. Right, because if you got payout and he's fully healthy, great outside threat. And if Caleb Smith, because I think he was dealing with something for a good portion of last year too, he's got incredible speed. Trey's really fast. They, the, all these guys were in the top like seven or eight of our fastest players. So yeah. our wide receivers can straight up burn. It's just a question of keeping them healthy. And the Twain Lofton kid, there was a note about him that he wears three XL gloves. <laughs> so it's so it's just like it's just like our boy Boykin from back in the day, yeah. you know, like wearing the big gloves. But the difference with Lofton is he's only five foot eleven. Yeah. And he wears three XL gloves. He must look like Mickey Mouse or something. Yeah, he's got a <laughs> massive, massive hands for that size body. That's a little bit maybe he just wears like three sets of gloves. Like he, yeah, it, I don't... <laughs> it goes it goes large, then extra large, then you know, triple X. I just top. hope he can catch the ball. That's what I'm hoping with those big mitts of his. I'm hoping he can hold on to it. One other positive nugget I saw was Garbit is looking good. And the coaches have remarked like he is back and he seems to be a very positive influence on the team as well in the locker room. And after missing last year because of I guess it was family stuff. And the year yep. before that, because of an injury mm-hmm. in the first game against BC, he missed most of the season. I mean, he hasn't really played since really ever as a full-time right. contributor. So yeah. uh, if he's back, like the coaches are indicating, I mean, we thought he was a number one D lineman, D yep. end. You know, we really did a couple of years ago. We thought he was going to be our number one guy on one of the sides. So if he's back, that is huge for us because – on the, on the back end of that, Belmar is retiring, so we're really yeah. going to need Garbit. Yeah, and that's that's another piece of really unfortunate news. Um, that, um, yeah, I, I, gosh, that that was really I didn't I didn't expect it. I'd seen something I think from Joe um, talking about it in like passing during one of his things. So I think he might have had some information on that before it came out publicly. Um, he just said, "Hey, I don't know about Belmar." after that bad concussion last year. And then we find out he's taking, you know, he's in, he's, you know, retiring from, uh, from football, which is um, really sucks for him. And, you know, I hope he's healthy off the field and kind of for his future. Uh, But it certainly doesn't help, help the team. No. And, you know, I don't know whether it was because I had talked to Joe in person a couple weeks ago or what, but I had, I had just been writing Belmar off, of of the roster i didn't put him in our first two deep i the way the reporters were talking about him coming back it just didn't seem right and i feel really bad for the kid it 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 sucks he's not able to finish his career the way he wanted to but we'll always have 
his fumble recovery in the UVA game, right? That's right. Yeah, that that will live on uh, for a long time. So that's uh, a thing of beauty. That's his legacy to me. Is that is that fumble recovery? Yep. Okay, Robbie, are you ready for a beer break? Uh, I am. All right. What are you drinking over there, man? So, like I said, I'm I'm on the non-alcoholic. So. I had a really good one last time, which was the Sam Adams. I pumped out there. Still is hard to get, if not harder to get than it was uh, back then. So they're selling out everywhere. But luckily, it's starting to make it to some more stores, but still selling out. I went with Athletic Brewing Company's Free Wave Hazy IPA, which is a non-alcoholic. And Athletic Brewing Company has a few different beers out there. And they have a pale ale, they have an IPA, and... Freewave, they make a lot of other beers, like rotational, non-alcoholics, those sorts of things. And uh, I believe they're out of Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, Stratford, uh, Connecticut. They also brew out of San Diego. None of their beers I particularly like as I've gotten through more of these non-alcoholics, except for this Freewave is good. It's not nearly as good. Not really a traditional kind of hazy like the Sam Adams is, but it's drinkable. It's on my list of probably four or five, you know, drinkable uh, non-alcoholics that I'm, that I can kind of rotate through. I am drinking the Reptar Juice by 26 Acres Brewing Company. It's a New England IPA out of North Carolina, 7.2%. It is awesome. I, I got this when I was down in the Outer Banks for the wedding I went to. My my friend and Robbie's old friend, Nicole, got married. Uh, we were down there with a ton of Hokies having a blast in OBX for a few days. And someone picked this up at, at the store. I think this brewery is just north of Charlotte in Concord, North Carolina. And I'm extremely impressed. It's one of those New Englands that definitely has a little bit more sugar than average because it's got a, a very sweet upfront taste. Um, but... But not overly sweet. I'd say it's it's perfect for maybe a little dessert hazy. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a, a classification we can it use on here, but but yeah, like if you're thinking about those like milkshake IPAs and things like that, this is kind of skewing that direction. But Twenty Six Acres Brewing, I had never heard of it, but I do feel like I had heard of Reptar Juice. It's got a hmm. you know basically a Velociraptor holding a beer on the front <laughs> of the can, kind of a cool looking can, and describes it as having like these citrus flavors, semi-sweet, juicy. Um, yeah, it's got maybe a little bit of a pineapple, opaque in the glass, not as bright as some of the other hazies, a little bit darker, but but really, really good. So I would recommend this one if you're ever down in North Carolina. All right, you ready to hop into these position battles? We don't have too many um, before we get to our bold predictions, but yeah. let's start with a quarterback because we talked about Burmeister and how he's the clear-cut starter. Who's the backup right now? <laughs> like, this is not the easiest thing to handicap. No. I get. I don't know. I guess I would have to just uh, Knox Kadem, I guess, is probably my, my guess of what it is. I have not heard, at least from people that have seen some of the practices, that all, the accuracy of most of the people behind um, those two, and I think even Kadem's including that, has not been great. Let's just put it yeah. that way. So I think this is more of kind of an injury or if we're up and we need to you know, save Burmeister, who's going to step in kind of situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully it 
Hopefully it does come into people having to step in and giving a breather to Burmeister. That would be a good thing for us. Hopefully it doesn't go the injury path where we actually need it. On our first two deep that I put on our Twitter page, I had Blumrick in the backup spot. And that was mainly due to his size and his age. Because I figured if we lose, if we lost Burmeister, we're going to end up doing a form of whatever we did with Quincy Patterson, where it's a lot of runs, the occasional flick out of the backfield kind of thing, but nothing downfield. So put the more durable guy in there. However, over the last few days, last week or so, been hearing a few more positive things about Katum. He obviously has more experience in the system and showed solid command when he had to come in in the Clemson game last year. So I think he's taken a step in camp. And if I was doing this and putting it out again, which I will put out, a revised version of the 2D here in a couple days. Kadem will be my number two. I think he is is the clear-cut number two, but that doesn't mean that I don't think Blumrick couldn't end the season with more snaps than Kadem if Burmeister stays healthy because he could be used in a Quincy Patterson-type fashion in special packages and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair bet. It'll be interesting to see. I think I think one or both of them will, will see the field... Um, you know, and just to mix things up and to give uh, Braxton not put as much of a toll on him, just because we really can't afford an injury uh, to Braxton. This we are not uh, too deep. I don't know too many teams that feel really comfortable about their one and two, but we're we're mm-hmm. definitely running thin on it. Yeah. Well, last year I felt good about my one, two, three. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's very rare, and I understand that, but. um it would be nice to have someone with a little bit more experience, just a little bit behind Braxton, but we're, we're not in that position. Moving on to safety. This is another position battle I thought was interesting. Hunter and Jenkins are currently the starters I have listed, yep. and that's who's been going with the ones. Uh, but Daly and Taylor, both transfers within the last two years, have played a lot of football, and I think they are capable of starting. In fact, Taylor last year played a lot for us yeah. uh, out, out of necessity because we had serious problems in the secondary. But uh, between the, between those four guys, I think any one of them could end up a starter. It could be any pair of the two could end up starting day one. But if I had to go with people, I'm going to go with Devin Hunter because the coaching staff felt great about him going into last year before his legal situation. Yep. And Jenkins, since he stepped foot on campus, we've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, it's – it's actually relatively the when I started to look at it, it's relatively deep at this position uh, in the in the backfield for us in terms of names and people that we've seen out on the field. Like you said, a lot of that's out of necessity and some of the stuff that we had going on in the program. Um, but I think I agree with you. I think I'm going to go Hunter in there, but uh, Jenkins I would put you know right behind him. But I do feel like you know there's a there's a little bit more wiggle room here than we may have had in, in some past years, assuming everybody's healthy and stays and mm-hmm. stays healthy. What would be another uh, position battle you're looking at on our two deep right now? Where, where are you kind of like keyed in at it? You want to see who starts or who even is battling for that backup spot? I, well, I know this is, I'm interested to see what we do at running back. Um, I think my, my inclination is Blackshear um, is going to be, Kind of our more down uh, back is my is my take on it. We talked about Marco Lee um, potentially coming in, and then you have Holston. So for those bigger bodies, so 
I think we're going to see running back, not necessarily by committee as we may have seen it in the past, where it almost seemed some seasons where they just split, they took a <laughs> four quarter game and split it in thirds. And it was just like rotated through each of the guys for, you know, roughly a third of the game. I think it's going to be more situational um, where Blackshear has um, a lot, a little bit more shiftiness, obviously a lot faster, a uh, little bit leaner body, bring in Holston, um, bring in Lee for, for those bigger packages and um, where Keyshawn King fits into all that. I'm not really certain. So I know, um, I know there's a lot, there's a lot of competition for carries this year and it's going to come down to who's the healthiest and who's the hot hand. I really feel like that's going to be a big deal. And I, I, I do want to talk about Blackshear, but I'm going to save that for my bold predictions. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens with the backups at linebacker because to the common fan, like who's the backup behind Dax Hollifield at, at middle linebacker? Who's the backup behind Tisdale at, at backer? You know, the, yeah. these are these are tough questions. And I'm kind of leaving the whip position out. That's more of a DB. So when I'm talking about the backups at linebacker, I'm talking about Mike and backer. Yeah. And, I have Dean Ferguson as the backup behind Dax. I've got C.J. McCray, the transfer from Marshall, as the backup behind Tisdale. Um, but I, I don't know. Those guys could easily be switched. I, I I think that just based on their size and what I've been reading, McCray seems to be the solid backup at backer. However, he's a very young guy. Like yeah. he's, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of experience. And Keyshawn Artis, you would think was gearing up to battle with Dax all these years yep. for that starting middle linebacker spot. And he's, I'm just not hearing anything about him. Yeah. Either am I, I wish I was surprised because we've seen him on the field. We've seen, you know, he's, he's as much in him between him and, you know, Griffin are as much of a known kind of quantity as we kind of have in those backup mm-hmm. spots. And, uh, I haven't heard anything about either of them. So, uh, that's not, not a great sign. I do think that move for Dax, um, to the middle, um, in the Mike linebacker spot, it's going to be, I think that's going to be awesome for him. He's been waiting three years to get that position. He talked about that at the, um, at the media days. So, but I mean, that's a lot of pressure on him. If, if the commentary was, Hey, he wasn't really as good in coverage. He wasn't as lengthy. We talked repeatedly about him and taking bad angles on the outside and that costing us pretty big chunks of yards on a number yeah. of occasions, you know, five, six, seven yard pickups that should have been tackles at the line of scrimmage. And now, you know, he's, there's all this talk about, he's been waiting for three years. Now he's got a, he's got a shot and he's definitely the starter at that position. So I think that puts some pressure on him. For sure. And I do feel almost bad for him that he had to play backer. Cause if you look at his body type, like it just doesn't make any sense for him to be playing backer. And and maybe it's because Tisdale was too light or, you know, couldn't, didn't have the conditioning. I mean, we saw him throw up on the field a couple of years ago. <laughs> so I, I don't know what it was, but Tisdale is tailor made to be a backer. Yeah. And I've heard he's bulked up. I mean, both those guys, this could be a great linebacking core. If Dax takes the step forward, he should at the position he was meant to play. If Tisdale can finally put it all together, you know, a little bit more weight on the body, like it, it could be awesome. But, um, but again, we're in a position where if one of those two starters goes down, who I feel really good about the starters, I, I don't know what I'm going to get. And yeah. so I, I'm a little bit nervous about those backup linebacker spots and who emerges there. Let's move to uh, right tackle. It's probably what? It's going to be Clements. It's going to be this super senior Tyrell Smith. I mean, 
French said he thinks it's going to be Clements. Um, yeah. Smith seemed to be like the Fuente favorite to get get a start. I don't know if that would be out of you know just giving him a nod. You yeah. know, like you've been on the team forever, like you deserve yeah. to start a game. Uh, but it, I'm I'm curious to see Clements is a young dude. Like, is he ready to start at right tackle? Yeah, I mean he's a true freshman, right? So I think he. Uh, well, freshman that was in a COVID year. So yes. I think he's two years on campus. Yeah. Got it. Two years on campus. But yeah, I mean, the COVID year is basically, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of throwing that out even yeah. <laughs> for playing time. It's, uh, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested. I, that's, you know, I kind of go, especially in the, on the offensive line, I usually go with, with what French is thinking. So that seems like the, the position, but I don't know. It, I, I, there's a couple of positions on the offensive line that I guess we we feel pretty certain, and in, in some of these others, and in, in Tenuta, and in, in, you know Smith. I think it'll be interesting, but um, yeah, I guess it would have to be Clements if I, uh, if I had to pick somebody. Yeah, I mean, you could move Silas over to right tackle if, mm-hmm. in a worst case scenario. But Silas, like he's demonstrated a couple of different times, like his mobility just isn't isn't quite good enough for right tackle. Like he could very well be our starting right guard. And that's where I slotted him. Uh, Whether that ends up being Brock Hoffman and they let Johnny Jordan play center or vice versa. I don't know, but Silas is so massive, dude. That guy is just enormous. I feel like we got to get him in there at at right guard. Yeah. find somewhere. It will also be interesting to see with some of the things that have happened with, you know, with Brock in the past, how, how that shakes out between him and Jordan uh, and who yeah. ends up uh, in those positions. Uh, or if they, if they try one out and whether it's not working, if they swap somebody else in or if we have snap problems, I guarantee you. Yeah. If you, if, if, if Brock goes in there and has a couple snapping problems, game one, like you're going to see Jordan go right in there in the third yeah. quarter. Yeah, that's right. But uh, I, I feel good about center. I mean, we'll have someone solid there. I mean, Brock, he should improve even, even though he came to tack and had the whole transfer year, he was still learning how to play at a P5 level. So yeah. I do have hope that he has more upside in front of him and can get better this year. And the last couple things I want to talk about, all the backup spots at wide receiver, we don't know what's going to happen there. We already kind of talked about that. But defensive tackle, it's been something that you've talked a lot about and not being a strong position in your eyes. And now I feel like we're we're close, right? We've yeah. got Williams, we've got Kendricks. That's who I've got slotted as the starters. But I think Pollard could easily be named a starter. He's yep. shown a dynamic ability to get in the backfield. That's right. And then Fuga, a lot of people have been high on as well. Yeah, Pollard was really the the one guy getting pressure for us in that in that backfield um, of anybody that I can think of um, from that position for sure. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that, I think that helps. But Fuga, I think you know people are are high on him. Um, he's still relatively young, so he's got some he's got some time. He'll be with us for for a bit. But with Williams and Kendricks, I think you really have four that you can feel pretty good about um, mm-hmm. in that up front. Um, yeah, that that gives me more confidence than I've had in, in years past, where we're kind of scrambling. But um, and you know you hope that defensive ends, um, you know, with uh, with Garbutt and, and and Barno, and and then they have Adams behind. You know, you could see this um, defensive line not being great or like legendary, but being good and you know yeah. serviceable, first serviceable for us, which has not been the case over the past. We we've been 
getting no pressure and struggled on defensive line for three years now. Yeah. At, at least, since Tim Settle and Ricky Walker were, were crushing it inside, like we have been struggling. And this could be a very good unit. The starters led by Barno and hopefully like by rejuvenated Garbit, like they could be nasty. They really mm-hmm. could be. But again, at defensive end in particular, we are lacking depth. So um, the rotation, I honestly feel like we could see Pollard go outside some to yeah. make up for some of that deficiency at defensive end because he's got that quickness. He's got that penetration ability that some of the other defensive tackles don't have. Yep. And yeah, yeah. even if you go back to Ricky Walker, settle left so early that Ricky came back the next year and those two were like a one-two combination and it was kind of, some other people stepped up, but Ricky kind of lost his, you know, his, his yeah, mirror. He had an ankle too, I think. Yep. And yeah, it wasn't good. I'm going to do a quick recruiting update before we do our bold predictions. We added DL DeAndre Martin, 6'3", 293, big boy from Durham, North Carolina. He picked Virginia Tech over South Carolina, beating out Shane Beamer for his services. He's an 87 on 247's rankings, which is a pretty nice recruit. Mansoor Delaney, six foot one corner, 86 on 247 from Maryland. Very solid offer list for him. That was a nice pickup in Delaney. And then we got the we added an additional four star in Cam Johnson, yep. composite four star, eighty eight on two four seven. He had a Penn State offer, a Michigan, Tennessee, Ole Miss. It goes on and on. A lot of offers for Cam Johnson. It was great news this past what was it Friday or Saturday? Yeah. But we unfortunately on the heels of that got news that Xavier Simmons, the four star linebacker commitment, has flipped to Mizzou. So that yeah. was a little bit of a bummer. And uh, listen, I'm not going to disparage Mizzou, and but uh, that doesn't really make a whole lot of uh, sense <laughs> to me, uh, to be quite honest. <laughs> no, um, no. I, it's when you lose a recruit to to Bama or even Miami, you're like, all right, that that sucks. But to lose him to Mizzou, that that is unfortunate. And I don't know where he's from. I don't know if there's any ties to that. Or I thought he was from North Carolina. I'd have to go back yeah, and check. That's bizarre. I, I don't. Think he's from Missouri or anything? Yeah. Um, and then you missed. We picked up a kicker. Come on now. Oh, you're right. You're right. John Love <laughs> and John Love. I like that. I like yeah. that name. Yeah. Uh, no ranking on him, but uh, if you're getting those kicker commitments, usually they're. If it's a scholarship guy, he must be pretty good. I th- I read that he got scholarship. Was okay. uh, what I had read. So um, we love our kickers. So uh, yeah, you got to give him the shout out. Uh, the class is currently 15th nationally in the composite, 13th according to 247, and third in the ACC. That will drop down in uh, the first two categories for sure because mm-hmm. we have 22 commits. Uh, but, hey, adding three four-stars after struggling to get any the last couple years, it's a nice class so far. The Xavier Simmons decommitment is a reminder to not put too much stock in who's committed. However, most of them will sign with Virginia Tech. So we have to go off what we know right now. That's right. All right, Robbie. Do you want to give me your first bold prediction? I think we're going to end up hitting at least a couple of these. I bet we have the same we <laughs> have the same thing. I, I was looking through and you were like, We did not only... talk about these. Yeah, we pants. didn't. You said you could only come up with four. And I was looking at it and I was like, I can pretty much only come up with four. Um, so let's see. I'll start with quarterback. So I have, 
this one's I, they have to be bold. So um, they have to every, be bold. Everybody's allowed to make fun of us. I have Burmeister completing at least sixty five percent of his passes this year. So Ooh, last year okay, was fifty seven percent. Hooker had sixty five percent last year uh, when he was out there. Then if you go back. Hooker and Willis were both about 61% in 2019. Willis was 59% in 2018. And I think this really hinges. Um, I think I'll, I feel fine about the the offensive line, him having time. It's really, you know, I just want to make sure the wide receivers stay healthy. Or otherwise, this could be this could be difficult. And obviously, he needs to improve his, his accuracy. So that is my... Old I prediction. like that one. That's a good first one, man. That's okay. that's solid because I think he could do that. I mean, with with Mitchell and the options he has at wide receiver, if he can improve his accuracy just a little bit, I think those guys aren't going to drop as many balls. I think it, I think it could happen, and I you know maybe even help from the running backs. Yep. I'm going to go with number one. Barno goes for 20 tackles for loss. Wow. Yes. So a couple seasons ago, Woody Barron and Tremaine Edmonds both had 18 and a half in wow. 2016. So if those two guys can get 18 and a half, one guy who had 16 last year should be able to go for 20. Cause I don't think we have anyone on this defense. Chamari Connor, maybe, but he plays almost DB. So he's not going to get the tackles for loss. Dax isn't getting 18 tackles for loss. I'll tell you that right now. Yep. So Barno can go for 20 TFL. Did you see his his picture the other day of Is him with the, the muscles? Is that the one that you sent out? Where, yeah. I sent it out yesterday, but he had put it out the day before. Dude is jacked up, man. He yeah. is ready for this season. Um, he was already he kind of jacked in his, like, in his before picture. And then like, <laughs> yeah. I looked at the before picture. I was like, man, I can't get that much. And then I saw the after picture. I was like, oh, my. Yeah. So the guys who have come close, we had Woody and Tremaine, like I said, tied at 18 and a half. Daddy in 2014 had 18. In 1999, Corey Moore had 17 sacks. (laughs) (laughs) Sacks alone. I couldn't, I was searching and searching. I could not find how many tackles for loss he had in 1999. I don't know if the stats aren't around or or what. I could not figure it out. If someone knows, please tell me. But he had 17 sacks, so there's a guarantee he went over 20 tackles for loss. Uh, I just don't know what the number is. But Barno is going to get 20 this year. Okay. Give me your number two. Um, All right, I'm just going to take them in the order. I'm not going to try and... You know, I'm going to have uh, Virginia Tech will beat either Notre Dame or UNC. So uh, I have both our home games. I think there's a chance to catch UNC flat-footed. Some people think we're going to get run off the field. Maybe that happens, but it's the first game of the season. Typically, Fuente does come out with a bang uh, in the seasons that he's coached at Virginia Tech. And whether it be Ohio State or WVU, uh, it's been, he usually has a pretty good game plan, at least um, before we start getting a real punch in the mouth uh, in in the season. So um, that's a real opportunity. And Notre Dame, it's at home. I know it didn't go well last time Notre Dame came to Lane Stadium, but I think they'll get, they'll get one of those as my bold prediction. I really, I really like that one. I'm almost, I'm almost ready to co-sign that one. That's a good one. <laughs> Number two for me, Brahim Blackshear. Leads us in total yards from scrimmage. Last season, Raheem only had 255 rush yards and 154 receiving, so just over 400 total. That was sixth on the team. Herbert had 1,100 yards, as most of us know, and over 1,300 total. 
But what I saw from Blackshear at Rutgers on his tape and what I believe he will have to pick up in terms of the slack from Herbert leaving, I think he's going to be an option both in the passing game and the running game, and he could potentially be Braxton Burmeister's best friend this year. So I really think Raheem is due for a breakout season. I think he's got a more dynamic playmaking ability than – Almost anyone on our offense. I really, I really believe that. And if you go back to last year when they were talking about the kid, that's what they were saying. They were saying this guy was amazing. And so I'm hoping that this is the year for that. And my bold prediction is that he leads us in total yards from scrimmage. Uh, I'm thinking 1,100. I like it. it For him. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, call it, say he puts up 250, 300 in receiving. Um, yeah, I could see him, you know, creeping up in that kind of 800 uh, on the ground. I don't see him going over 1,000 on the ground, I'll tell you that much. No, so. no, I don't either. All right, give me your next one. All right, so I have Dax will actually, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, will live up to the height. And uh, after moving over from backer, I have him, um, in, in addition, I can't just say that. I got to do something quantitative. So I'm going to say yeah. he makes... Um, kind of the ACC team of the week. Uh, I will say he makes it three times is my, I think that's a pretty good one. You got to be Rayshard Ashby territory to do something like that. Well, Ashby <laughs> did it like five or six, <laughs> yeah, right? You're right. I think he was six. I mean, he made it three weeks in a row. I think he might've, it was, it could have been five. I think it may have even been six. So I'm saying three times. Okay. Is so that's how we can kind of quantitatively measure that one. Good. No, that I think that would if he does that, I would have to say he lived up to the hype for sure. For me, number three is someone on the team will get ten sacks, and it's a two parter, and over forty sacks for the team. Okay. And that someone is going to be Barno. If I if I have to project, it could be Garbit, but I, you know it's likely to be Barno. Someone's going over ten, and the team is going over forty. Someone going over ten hasn't happened since 2014. Wow. You think that's not that many, but like a Canem was the last guy to do it. We had 48 as a team and a Canem had 10 and a half. So just, just barely over. Um, and that was the only time in the last 11 seasons that it's happened. So it, for as much as we like to call ourselves Saxburg, it's been more of like a sacking by committee. Right. We haven't had that standout end, uh, given us the sacks, and I do believe that our DBs will be good enough to improve our sack numbers, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're yeah keeping people in the backfield um, and you know not, not letting them get the ball out. So I, I like that. I also think, and I've never looked back at this. I'm wondering if um, the I wonder if you go back to like you're talking about Corey Moore and all those things when it seems like the half sack has become much more of a thing with the analytics improving in college football that mm-hmm. now like multiple people are getting credit for, you know, the half sack. Whereas I'm assuming back in the day, as soon as Corey Moore was the first person to touch him, they just counted as a sack for him is my guess. I don't know that for, but uh, I wonder if that's changed stats. I over would be time. curious too, is how they record that. Like if, is there only one total sack you can give out for any sack. Like if three guys hit him simultaneously, do you give out three half sacks? Like I, I don't know how it works. I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I it's think just it, one total. Yeah, I think it has to be one total. That said, I've never yeah. seen a, a third. Of, uh, yeah. 
maybe they uh, maybe they rounded up or rounded up to the next half sack. I don't I don't know. It's a good question because all you see is like ten and a half. You don't know if it happened mm-hmm. on this, what play it happened on. Sometimes no point two fives out there. Was that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No point two fives out there. That's right. Give me your uh, your next bold prediction. Um. So this one you can't really. Well, I guess I can quantify it. So I think we're going to see some actual consistency in the defensive philosophy or at least a philosophy in the defense that we were lacking last year. It seemed like a lot of different philosophies. Um, Justin Hamilton has another year. It was a COVID year, a lot of injuries. It, it was just, it was a lot of people out for COVID. It, it was just a, a, a kind of a mix up. I think he, he talked about it at media days and just how much of a scramble it was, how much pressure he was under Sounds like the players think he's a little bit more upbeat now, feels a little bit more confident, having a little bit more fun with it. So to quantify that, I think last year in the S&P, and we can go back and look at this, I think we finished like 103rd in defense uh, on the S&P. So to put a stat on it, I'm going to say, it's got to be a bold prediction. I'm going to say that we get up to, what's a good one? Bold, I'll say we get in the top sixty-five. So in in defensive S and P, yes. Okay, which would be, I mean, top 40, sixty-five defensive S and P. Yeah, that's a forty spot, nearly a forty. You know, and <laughs> what's funny about that is like that shouldn't be a bold prediction. I know. You know, like it it really shouldn't. But I'm looking at our stats from last year too, and it's we're ninety fifth in yards per play last year. Yeah, ninety fifth, and so. Yeah. Uh, if we went to top 65, that's a 30 spot improvement. You yeah, know what I mean? And it was huge. worse for SP plus. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was 103rd. I think I looked at that earlier today. So I'm just spitballing that. But if that is the case, it may not sound like a bold prediction, but 40 spots is a huge leap, especially in somebody's second year. Yeah. I, I you know what though? I do think that's attainable. I, I really, I really do based on the fact of how much we were missing in our back end to start the year last year. I really do think a top 65, even a top 50 or top 40 is possible. I, I have, I'm bullish on Jay Ham's second year. I really am. I love our DB group. I love our starters on defensive line. I think Dax and Tisdale are poised for a great year. Barno's going to be a stud. So I'm with you, man. And I think it could be even better. It just sucks. We were so bad last year yeah. that it's hard to see it like go that high. But yeah. I'm I'm really making my pick off of such a high number, such an outlier that uh, it's yeah. It actually nice. works out well for you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as bold as it would be, but I gotta go from it's it's the same defensive coordinator. Um, a bunch of the same guys are are back, although hopefully healthy. So we'll see. Yeah, it, honestly, if we're not top sixty-five in SP plus defense. Jayham's going to be looking for work. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's not going to be a good look. That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, my last one. We will have the best DB group, D block, at Virginia Tech since 2014. Wow. Um, and in 2014, which I know it wasn't a spectacular year, but it was the year we beat Ohio State, and then we had some injury problems and everything else. The opposing passer rating for Virginia Tech. Uh, by quarterbacks was 109. So quarterbacks against us only had 109 passer rating, uh, which is extremely low. That's a terrible quarterback. Last year, we had 135 passer rating given up, 
really bad. Wow. Just as bad as 2018, basically, when we were complete dog crap. So my quantitative level for best DB group, because of the changes in college football, I'm not going to hold them to 109, but 112 passer rating against nice. or better. That's that's what I'm going going with. That's that's real deep in the stats there. I'm trying to think who the quarterbacks are that we're going to be facing. So obviously we have Howell. What is it? Howell's a tough Cone. one right off the bat. Yeah, Cone at Notre Dame, which I don't know. It sounds like things. Miami knows who. Um, what's his name? Uh, Dear King. Yeah. Dear King. Oh yeah, I, think, I mean, I even think Jack Cohn doesn't like strike fear into my heart. You know, no. like, I, it's it's Howell, and yeah. and King's health is up in the air, but King is extremely good. So, yeah. but keep in mind, I'm going with passer rating for a reason because I I expect King to be able to run on us. We've always had a problem kind of containing the running QB, but I think our DBs against the pass specifically will. Be very good. Tisdale being the backer full-time, right. I think it helps our passing defense. I think Connor coming back for his last year, like that helps our passing defense. And the safeties will be so much better. Dorian Strong is a number one kind of corner in this league. Yep. So that I'm, I'm going with the best DB group since 2014. Okay, I like it. And that, and that does it for our bold predictions, right? That's all you had? That's all I had. All right. I got, I got eight of them, so what I'll do is I'll put these on our Twitter feed once uh, – once we get the podcast posted and everything, but I'm actually going to, I'm going to co-sign your 65 nice. DS and P I'm going to co-sign Dax three times to all ACC. And Ooh, that VT beating ND or Notre Dame or UNC, <laughs> man, that is, that is, uh, it's tantalizing because both games are at home. And I, the UNC game in my eyes is more winnable than Notre Dame. Yeah. And because even though Notre Dame has lost a ton, including Ian book, it's still Notre Dame. They still recruit at a ridiculously high level. And as well as UNC recruits has been recruiting, it's not Kyron Williams and that offensive line and that defensive line and all those guys. So um, it's really whether, do I think that we can beat UNC and how good do I feel about it? So I'm not going to co-sign that one, but I feel, I'm almost there. I'm okay. almost there. I like it. We'll we'll see what happens on our season preview when we get to that. But uh, actually, you know what? I got a a message from someone on Twitter saying giving us a uh, a bold prediction as well. This is from Nathan. Nathan Snow said, "Burmeister is all AC all ACC performer, maybe honorable mention." So he's giving himself a little wiggle room there after his receivers rack up a ton of yards after catch. Also, he says we win two out of three of UNC, WVU, and Notre Dame. Wow. So two out of three of those. Those are two variable predictions. So that means he needs to pull off what you said plus beat WVU. Wow. Wow. That's That was from Nathan Snow on Twitter. So thank you, Nathan. That's a good good submission, though. Yeah. Before we hop off, I wanted to do a first record prediction for the season, and which we will revise just prior to the year if Uh we feel the need to. Do you want me to go first or you? Uh, yeah, I think you should go first. Okay. I have mine. I'll have it before you go. I Right now, uh, please don't hate me for this, but I have us at six and six. And wow. the reason is not because I don't feel confident in our starters being very solid. If our starters stayed healthy, I think this is an eight-win team. Yep. But – asking Burmeister and Turner and Barno and Garbit and all these guys to stay healthy for a full year, we're going to lose some key guys. It's unfortunate, but we just will. That's football. 
we do not have the depth right now. And Khalil Herbert covered up a lot of flaws on offense last year. He's not coming back. Darisol, Nestor, those guys are gone. And so it pains me. Um, I think the defense will be the better side of this team and will help carry this team. And I'm, I'm, I feel good about Jay Ham and the defense. I really do. But it, it's a six and six team in my eyes right now. Okay, I'm gonna go seven and five, and that's because my bold prediction is us taking one from UNC or Notre Dame. So I think that that's big, and that's that's a big swing move uh, on that one. So I'm gonna go one better than you, but I agree. Okay. The depth is. I think the health of everybody that we have is really is the problem. I don't think it's the talent level um, to do make this an eight team, um, eight win team. I think it's to your point. I think it's I think it's just the depth um, and the you know, potential for injuries. And heck, we could have another COVID situation. Yeah, uh, that, we don't that know. is <laughs> with with what's going on. That is not out of the realm of possibility. I think that's going to do it for the podcast. We we've talked a lot about a lot of different topics today i liked getting in that uh little playoff talk and the the realignment talk that was fun but we will be coming back to you monday the 30th whatever that monday is before the unc game i'll be posting the podcast that will be our season preview and our unc preview we're kind of gonna do it all in one and it will come out a few days before the unc game plenty of time to get in there and here our final record predictions. If anything strikes us in the next couple of weeks, we feel like we need to up it or lower it. We will, we'll do that. But yeah, we'll, it'll be kind of. Uh, I'm going to go over my notes from last year's season preview and see yeah. how I want to attack this one. But we'll have the line for the UNC game. We'll be giving you the information on them specifically. Yep. But we also want to do kind of an overview on how we view tech. I know some of that we handled today, and so that's why we can kind of combine the next one into one podcast but i'm going on vacation next week robbie was just on vacation and yes like i said i was at a wedding before so we're not letting the podcast get in the way but we're also making sure we are getting these podcasts out even though we're trying to enjoy our lives that's that's (laughs) probably the best way to put it but anyway we are going to do a full season of podcasts for you guys yet again hopefully we'll be debuting our sponsor next podcast as well so we'll look for that and until next time when we're previewing the season, go Hokies. Go Hokies.